0: I'm Alex Shaw
1: I'm Sharon Shaw And
0: And welcome welcome to to... School of Movies (laughs) Tokyo Godfathers
2: This bundle of joy is a Christmas present sent from God (laughs) She's our baby now Huh? You know what sounds a lot weirder? The fact we have a crying baby in here I'm not saying you're wrong what can we do about it? Find her parents. You want to find her parents? You're trying to play house when
3: we're three good-for-nothing bums who can't even look after ourselves.
2: <laughs> we did everything we could do. We're bums, not action movie stars. Alright, let's bring in the new year by taking out the trash. Uh, I don't think I'm gonna fit. Yeah, it's a Christmas miracle.
0: This was the third of four films directed by Satoshi Kon. The other three are Paprika, Millennium Actress, and Perfect Blue, and all of them were revered and respected in anime circles before Satoshi Kon died in 2010, aged only 46. I'm going to ask Mackenzie actually as much as she can tell us about Satoshi Kon because this is a guy that we don't know too much about and and you've been a big fan of his work and this film in particular for a long time. Oh, uh, welcome to the show, Mackenzie Eastrom.
3: Hello. So yes, I am big fan big fan of the works of Satoshi Kon, although admittedly I haven't seen uh, every single bit of things he's produced at this point. Paranoia Agent is uh, his television series yeah, he that he directed.
0: This is the first show in our early 2024 commission season. It was backed by Alejandro Vargas, who has been suggesting it all of this year. And this being Christmas, and it being very much a Christmas-type story, we figured it was time. I want to give an extra shout-out to all of our listeners who are into anime, because this year we also covered Ghost in the Shell and every Studio Ghibli film, and you folks haven't jumped onto our asses and requested a hundred other anime shows. Although you did express enthusiastic responses to each one we did put out, this is exactly the right way to handle it, and we will certainly be covering more anime in future. We just won't tell you when. Or what? Or what? Or what? Could all just just be a Ninja Scroll appreciation show. This movie took inspiration from, of all things, a 1948 John Wayne Western directed by John Ford called Three Godfathers. In that movie, a trio of thieves on the run from the law meet a dying new mother, and because they are all decent men, despite their past, they swear to take care of her infant. In this film, the trio are all homeless people in Tokyo, one snowy... Christmas Eve-ish who discover a baby seemingly abandoned in the trash one of them decides it is absolutely their duty to track down the parents so the rest of the film is a contemporary quest undertaken by the most vulnerable overlooked and discarded of humankind we witness bitterness anger and resentment regret fear and overwhelming sorrow but also unimaginable courage and joy this is an often painful empathy engine set up by Conn in the tradition of the greater spirit of the season to encourage all of us to consider people on the streets. The film itself reminds me of the work of Billy Wilder. It is funny and sad with a tight script and a central trio grow from this experience because it forces them to confront the reasons they wound up on the street without making the faux pas of just hand-waving, all homeless people are homeless by choice. And these broken lives are treated with compassion rather than condemnation. It is the only one of Khan's films that's grounded in reality rather than immersing the audience in layers of artifice and delusion. But it is riddled with twists and turns and alarming coincidences, nail-biting chase sequences and big personalities. Mackenzie, what can you tell us and the listeners about Satoshi Khan, who he was as an artist and as a man?
3: As an individual, he was like many people in the Japanese animation industry, more on the private side. So a lot of what his personal life was like is probably up to speculation. We know that he was married and, you know, remained so until his tragic death uh, at age forty six of pancreatic cancer, which came as a huge shock to anybody who was paying attention to the anime industry because, It was not announced publicly beforehand that he was sick, and it happened within a number of months. Uh, He just passed away very quickly in 2010. uh, With a film already, you know, uh, completely storyboarded and scripted, his next project was moving into keyframe animation as he passed away. Which was, of course, another one of those tragedies that you can never completely let go of because you know out there somewhere is a script book that you're never going to see and a film that will never be finished. But he started his work in anime in the early 1990s. Uh, He did some work on Memories, which was an omnibus uh, of animated short films that was released in 1995. Specifically, he worked on the layouts and backgrounds and script for Magnetic Rose which is a really similar film to a lot of the other things he works on, in that it's really a story that is heavily blending what is a dream, what is reality. It's really impressive how early he kind of gets his start on what he's interested in, in his storytelling. And then he also did some work on uh, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, which is a big popular thing in the anime uh, world. Very impressive from an animation standpoint, and that's what got him attention... From the directors, or the producers rather, who brought him in for his first movie, Perfect Blue. Uh, As Alex said earlier, he only actually got to direct four feature films. And each of them is basically considered a masterpiece by the people who adore them. Perfect Blue is probably the most um, controversial, Mm -hmm. (laughs) let's say, of his films. It's a really intense horror movie. Whether or not you see it as a depiction of the kind of misogyny women in the entertainment industry face in a horrific way, or whether it feels a little bit too much like a recreation of that, possibly fair. But it's incredibly well-made and lingers in between the two worlds of dream and reality very effectively. Millennium Actress was his second film, which is... Somehow even more unclear about where reality starts and dreams begin. And is about a actress who disappeared at the height of her career. And a interviewer, her tracks are down in her old age to get her story. Uh, then we have Tokyo Godfathers, which is what we're discussing today. And has been a movie that I've watched every Christmas for several years now. Because it's really very quintessentially one of those kind of holiday themed movies that really gets at the emotional core for me of what christmas and the new year are supposed to exemplify Mm. it reminds me a lot of it's a wonderful life in some ways or a christmas carol where it's the fact that they are willing to show the tragedy is what makes the miracles valuable Mm. If it's all candy cane and snowdrops and gumdrops, you're not going to feel why it's so important that we come together in this miserable, cold part of the year. Yeah. And this movie really exemplifies that. Yeah,
0: I, I said at the end uh, when we watched it the third time today, once in English this morning and then uh, once in all Japanese subs, that it's an incredibly sad film, but sharon noted that it's less a sad film the whole way through as as it starts out bleak and difficult and slowly presents its characters with ways to climb out of their various pits Mm. so it's it's almost always in an upward trajectory but they slip back down again
1: yeah it's a film about sad things rather than a sad film if that makes sense
0: yeah
3: Yeah, it's tragicomic. It's impressive how often this movie will show you really genuinely dark, sad moments in these people's lives or their history and follow that up with some of the wackiest hijinks that you've seen on cinema Mm. and makes that work without feeling out of place in the slightest.
0: Yeah, that should have messed the tone up and made it feel actually annoying to watch, like the... Director or writer were not taking the drama seriously enough and were just sort of leaning on the funny button, kind of like Thor Love and Thunder. But it doesn't. It actually feels like the the hijinks are a way of coping with yeah, how sad
1: things I, are. I think the reason for that Balanced is that... Balanced
0: more like Thor Ragnarok.
1: Yeah, the pacing on this is incredible, and whenever you have those moments of darkness, it knows what it's doing in terms of how it's using the darkness and light juxtaposed together. It's not here's a moment of darkness because we just wanted to tug at your heartstrings, now here's a moment of levity because we wanted to puncture that bubble as quickly as possible so you didn't have to sit with it too long. You get those breaths, those moments of staying with the sadness to appreciate what they mean, then that passes, then the funny thing happens because it's almost like the in-breath
3: and the out-breath. Exactly. It has real rhythm to it. It's a movie where if you tried to sit down and describe every single thing that happens in order you would sound like you're slowly losing your mind, but while you're in it, it makes, it flows so excellently. It's just impeccable how well put together this movie is. And because unlike Satoshi Kon's other works, everything is really happening on the same plane of existence, as opposed to constantly funneling in and out of dream sequences, It's a lot easier to follow than a lot of his other work.
1: An idea of how it could have turned out, the other film, I mean, there's probably quite a few, but one other film that's based on the uh, original Western is Three Men and
0: a Baby. Oh, God, yeah. Wasn't that also based on a French version of the same film? Yes,
1: there is a French version of the same film. Although it did occur to me that making this in response to a Western is like the reverse of The Seven Samurai and The Magnificent Seven. Nice.
0: Nice.
3: Japanese and Western uh, cultural exchange has always been absolutely fascinating and creates some really surprising works. And I think that this being based on a Western might be one of the most surprising factoids about it. The movie also can't help but be a little bit comic because at the end of the day, three weirdos who shouldn't have a baby having a baby is a comedy premise. Mm -hmm. They are doing their best in the situation they are given. And it is not played for laughs that this kid is in danger. But none of them should be doing this on a, like... If you were ideally giving people mm. roles... But they were the care- ones
0: who were there. It's that or freeze to death for this baby. And that's,
1: that's the bottom line with this kind of story, isn't it? And I say kind of story like weirdos taking care of a baby is something that happens all the time. But at the end of the day, if the baby makes it through and the end result is it has more people who love it than it did before. That's happy. That's I don't,
0: joyful. I think the, there's only exactly. one film where weirdos take care of a baby and the baby actually comes a cropper and that's Train Spotting. <laughs> and Ugh. that baby got to be in so many people's nightmares. Yes, it did. <laughs> the circumstances of finding the baby... Well, for a start, they're our three heroes, to describe who they are, uh, we've got... Uh, First and foremost, uh, the, the the standard hobo type uh, of Gin, uh, who is an old-ish guy who's missing a couple of teeth, he drinks too much and is surly and has almost no self-esteem. So he's not going to attack you, but he does get attacked. Well, all of them grow magnificently. Uh, with him is uh, Miyuki, who is a late teen girl who has run away from home and is similarly surly and cagey but it's been a shorter time for her and she's thinking and reflecting on the notions of family all of them are and then you have probably the reason why this was such an absolute favourite with uh, many people in the LGBTQIA community Hannah who is a uh, trans woman that actually gets treated well in a 2003 movie.
3: It's a Christmas miracle. It is. Hannah is a miracle. Um, And I think the movie actually basically treats her as a miracle. She is the first of our leads that we see. And she is the person who has the actual heart of the movie, who is keeping this weird little found family together Mm. and trying her damnedest to make some light in a world that has put them all in just terrible, terrible circumstances. They
0: don't apportion who's the leader of their little gaggle, but Hannah's the one who keeps them going. Hannah's the one who makes the courageous leaps, is incredibly selfless and absolutely determined to get this kid back to a home because, as she states very, very early on, uh, they, she doesn't want the baby to be abandoned like her.
1: Yeah, I mean the the finding of the baby, who they name Kyoko after uh, Gin's own daughter.
0: Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Not her after. Not names it Kyoko, oh. and Gin is like. Why'd you pick that name? In a kind of, well, it's a massive coincidence, but my daughter, who...
1: The first of many, we might say. Yeah. Um, But but the the whole finding the baby and how it impacts on these three people is she makes each of them reflective about who they are, where they've come from, Mm. and what their roles and relationships to parenting is the baby almost finishes off and completes the little family that they have knitted together between the three of them mm.
0: I didn't notice until this third time that I watched it they find the baby while they're looking for Christmas presents there's a uh, they, they start watching a uh, seemingly like a, a an amateur dramatics nativity play mm.
1: I think it's some kind of church performance that, that has been put on for the homeless population yeah. of Tokyo uh, so it and-
0: also.
3: This situation with that appears to be it is the kind of a church event that occurs where in order for you to get food as a homeless person, you are expected uh, to sit through a sermon. Sit through the sermon.
0: It's transactional.
1: Yeah, it always is.
3: It always is. Always, uh, is, or it, always uh, is not? Okay. Always.
0: Okay, the Salvation uh, Army, I know, were a, a very, you know, yeah, big there, on there are Yes, you can have this aid, but you have to become Christians. Yes,
1: there are a lot of religious organizations who operate on the same principle to varying degrees of intensity.
0: If you want this, you do this. Yeah. It's like a
3: timeshare eating, but for soup. Oh. Yeah.
0: <laughs> We will share our soup with you (coughs) if you take... And
3: you can have a cloud in heaven. Jesus
0: Christ is your personal savior.
3: And, of of course, the only one in their group who actually has any interest in Christian spirituality, at the very least, is Hannah, who
0: is... Which is ironic, because so many uh, particularly devout right-wing Christians would decry her as heresy.
3: Yep. Also, maybe worth noting at this point is that Christianity is by far not the most dominant religion in japan Mm. christmas is celebrated culturally as kind of you know a lot of western imports are
0: i hear they eat kentucky fried chicken to kind of satirize americans
3: yeah eating kentucky fried chicken is a big popular thing there i mean it's kind of interestingly a weird cultural inverse of how jewish people eat chinese food at christmas in north america or at least KFC
0: experience crunch time in december (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> they do actually but the the point being overall is that a christmas movie from japan on its face is already kind of kind of a weird game mm. because the the actual mythology and belief system of christianity is not such a huge deal over there but Though the their
0: anime is very big on uh, going angels, demons. Look at this iconography; these massive gothic crosses. We yeah. love it.
1: Well, I think that's what <clears throat> that's what Mackenzie means about the cultural aspects of it. There's a kind of a saying that is it's not really true, but it's become quite tropey about Japan, which is that you are born Shinto, marry Christian, and die Buddhist. Uh, in the yeah, I'm sure, we've said are, that in some
0: of the other shows. Yeah,
1: there's there's um, different spiritual ways of looking at the world that affect you at different points in your life.
3: Yeah, and there's also definitely an aesthetic, um, I don't know if appropriation is the right word, but maybe, uh, of Christmas and Christian imagery, um, that even if they don't really care for the mythology at all, is prevalent in the culture, but is I will it say
0: appropriation if the culture is obnoxiously pushy about pushing that culture on other people. If if you're just That's effectively accepting it know. as a gift and going, okay, we'll do Christmas. Can then. you
1: can you culturally appropriate secular capitalist massive inflatable Santas? Yeah, I mean,
0: like, they're going around house to house <laughs> and putting, hey, why not try Christmas through the front door? That's not appropriation.
3: Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to say. Probably not cultural appropriation in the way that anybody means it. Yeah, no,
0: not in the way that, uh, say, America's like, oh, hey, uh, we need a, a new way to sell this or something to do on this day. Uh, let's uh, just, uh, just take this culture from this. You weren't using it, were you? And we're going to have a Hawaiian day. <laughs>
3: yeah. But this movie does, I think, get to the core of the like emotional and moral aspects that Christmas, even as a non-directly church-related activity has become over the generations, and I think this is a thing that's happened pretty globally, because, you know, the Christians shoved their religion into every male slot in the world, there is an understanding of Christmas on both an aesthetic level and on a genuine emotional level level and this movie really highlights the best of what that can be this idea of of coming together in the harshest time of the year and family and trying to rise up from bad situations together
0: okay so um let's go into hannah because i feel like we we should do that with the the most full-throated they've got a trans hero in this film
1: Yes, Hannah.
0: She is a hero. Yeah, she is a hot mess, but she is also so full of positive impulses that she becomes a fantastic character because of also being a hot mess, as opposed to in spite of.
3: Yes, the fact that she's messy is actually one of the things that is so lovable about her. If she was perfect, mm. except for being homeless then she wouldn't be realistic i think someone you could compare her to in media that doesn't fare quite as well would be angel from rent who is also a transgender woman but angel is just kind of she's so good and so pure and she does well except for that dog she kills but the movie seems to think that's fine um (laughs)
2: The
0: movie thinks rather too many things are fine. Like, come out! Let's all get AIDS.
3: Yeah, it's not. You're I'm wrong not for not wanting to party. Here. I'm I'm bringing up rent as a counterexample of doing something poorly. Mm-hmm. Where Angel is also supposed to be that kind of heart of the group, the moral center that brings everybody together. She just doesn't have very many personality traits. Whereas Hannah is weirdly religious and really bombastic, and constantly singing and desperately wants to be a mom and yeah is sometimes obnoxious but is human she's so fully human and even when people are dehumanizing her she stands in really harsh defiance of that and you don't feel like the movie has anything bad to say about her as a person, yeah. or anything bad to say about her identity? The people who are shitty about her being a woman are not people that you like. Yeah, absolutely. And it only
1: happens a handful of times. Yeah. Most people are entirely recognizing of Hannah's identity, and mm-hmm. in a way that is just—it's it, not made at all a big deal of. Yeah. It just is. <laughs>
2: Tomorrow. I'll take her to the police tomorrow, I promise. I can't take her there on Christmas. Today is supposed to be the happiest day of the year. If we take her now, Christmas will be ruined! (laughs) Hey, uh, maybe she needs a diaper. Uh, 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 (laughs) Hana boil some water i'll make some milk <gasps> what now you want to be its mommy Miki, go out
3: and buy water kyoko deserves only the best no tap water for my angel
2: why do i have to go out remember this is just for tonight tomorrow we take her straight to the police i guess that old saying is true no man is an island <sighs> So it's also,
0: that that makes it a good movie for uh, trans or NB or gender-fluid folks to watch in a kind of a, you know, I'm worried about Hannah, but Hannah is not being pursued by angry mobs in this film. Hannah is being ignored, the same as every other homeless person.
1: Yeah, even her backstory is sad, but it is not tragic the yeah. the... the, the bad things that have happened to her that have led her to where she is are not directly related to her identity they are things that could have happened to anybody
0: yeah. at this point uh, in <laughs> 2003 was a few years after boys don't cry so american cinema was still kind of hooked on trans pain mm. rather than this is a trans character in a movie where being trans is part and parcel of her character But it doesn't necessarily mean the movie is about trans pain.
1: Yeah. It's moved
0: on from that.
1: Honestly, one of the things that I love most about Helen as a character is that she is. She's very. Recognizing and accepting of other people's flaws, mm-hmm. and when
0: she moralizes and browbeats people and explodes at them and argues with them, it's always because they've treated another person badly, not that they've broken some kind of they've made some sort of cultural faux pas.
1: Yeah, but also she doesn't the way she does that and the way she expects them to respond when she does that is it becomes very clear very quickly that to Hannah being angry with somebody and pushing them away temporarily because they've upset you does not mean that you want to push them away completely. And it's, it's very much a... she treats people how she would expect to be treated. She expects people to yell at her tell her when she's done something wrong mm-hmm. and then accept her back. And that's exactly what she does with other people.
0: Which might make it uh, that she's better at reading social cues when they're big and loud.
1: Yes, yeah, I, I would not doubt that that's a part of it. But she has this sort of, there is a level of compassion and honesty that she tries to bring to every interaction that she has. And that that is part of the, the whole goddess in a hot mess aspect thing which is that the relationships that she has with people are bombastic they are loud to somebody who is not used to that kind of relating and culturally that is not a Japanese Mm. stereotypical way of relating Um, it would look like she's angry and spiky and pushes everybody away from her but it is about that whole I am honest with you but I expect you to come back
0: we mentioned the past pretty shonky portrayals of trans or gender ambiguous folks in anime around about the time when we covered the Earthsea film where we've got somebody who you know, could technically be voiced by somebody who's assigned male or female or gender fluid and they don't specify it. And of course, they're a twisted villain. And if you look back to Battle of the Planets, they, it's someone voiced by a man in Japan and a lady in America or the or vice versa. Either way, it's, it's specifically it queer-codes its villains in a kind of, it is an effeminate man, so you need to watch out for this sort of person.
1: Mm. Yeah. Also, and this is just talking about the three of them as a group again, Mm -hmm. um, they are very much the triple goddess. Mm -hmm. So you've got uh, Miyuki is the maiden, Mm -hmm.
3: Hana is the mother, and Gin is the crone.
0: Wow. Yep.
3: Yep. It's weird that it's Tokyo Godfathers when only one of them actually accurately it's that name the other thing about hana that i i love very much is that she is extremely funny she's probably the funniest character and none of it is at her expense Mm. it's not oh look at this funny trans lady she doesn't fall into any of those tropes either of how anime makes fun of or dehumanizes non-gender conforming folks Or uh, or she doesn't fall into
0: the American super camp, like just so you know, I am broadcasting that I'm queer in some way and you can laugh at the things I say, which was the only acceptable way to be gay in the 90s.
3: And it's not for lack of flamboyance, because she is flamboyant oh, she in lots runs, of ways. flappy hands, flappy hands. <laughs> she's, she's got a hilarious run cycle, which is continuously used throughout the movie oh, to yeah. highlight moments when they're switching from some kind of shocking thing happening to run over there and deal with it. Which is mostly caused by her costume being a skirt that goes, like, just down past her knees. Mm. So she has to throw her legs out to the side to move. Uh, and it i cannot run in a pencil skirt. Right. You can't run in a pencil skirt. She is sacrificing a lot of her mobility for the sake of her gender presentation. Yeah. And it makes her look funny, but it doesn't make her look funny because she doesn't seem feminine. It's just that anybody who runs like that looks silly. Mm. And it doesn't impair her that much when they're all running no, together. It doesn't she just keeps up
1: with
0: them. And I think she, of all the three of them, she's the most ill. What she's suffering from that makes her cough so much?
1: It's never pinpointed, right. but it's obviously something that's. Um, it... it <laughs>
3: It's the consumption.
1: (laughs) I mean, it it could be something very Sexy Victorian
0: wasting disease. It
1: could also just be that the cold has given her a chest infection that's got particularly bad. We don't know if this is something that's been going on for Mm. a long time or if she's just not well right now. But
0: When she goes into hospital, uh, Gin had been saving up money to give to his estranged daughter and uses it to get her well again mm. which is the nicest thing pretty much anyone's ever done for her
1: yeah although a hospital bill in japan it becomes rapidly apparent is not quite the same as a hospital bill in america
0: oh yeah in america she would be uh, flung they would all be flung into debt they couldn't possibly repay they
1: i doubt very much they would have got to the hospital in the first place What's that? a
0: flu shot that'll be ten thousand dollars
3: <laughs> yeah ah. being homeless in japan bad, definitely. Maybe a little bit more tolerable than being homeless in America, unfortunately. Uh, The other, one of the other interesting things about Hannah as a character is one of the reasons why I think she's emotionally, honestly healthier and able to kind of keep this ragtag family group together more effectively and help people grow a bit is that of the three main characters, she's the only one who had at some point something resembling a very healthy family relationship. It's implied the other two had healthy families for a little while and then fell out of them kind of of their own reasoning. Whereas Hana had a family group of other queer people in Tokyo who were working out of this same club. It's clear when we reach this part where she finds she goes back to them because she doesn't know where else to go. She calls the head of this club her mother. She is her mother in more a real way than probably any of the other characters feel about their own families at this point without reflecting on it. Mm. She's got this family of people who have been rejected repeatedly by society who have come together to create this group of performers who seem to be doing pretty well for themselves. She had a husband who accepted her for who she was and they lived happily together for an unknown amount of time. The tragedies in her life that brought her into homelessness were significantly more out of her control than Jin and Miyuki. Mm. Her husband died from a slip in the tub. The kind of thing that could happen to literally anybody at any time. She was born into the foster system, which is just a toss of the dice at birth. She didn't have anything to do with any of the things that have gotten her into a lifestyle that leads to homelessness, or a situation that led to homelessness for her. On some level, she blames herself for them, but she knows that she didn't really cause any of them, whereas... Jin and Miyuki have to wrestle with that significantly more.
1: There's also the fact that Hannah has experience that the other two don't have mm. uh, in terms of creating found family yeah. and recognizing yeah. what keeps found family together as opposed to blood family leaning far too much on the we're blood, we have to stay yeah. together, which is what mm-hmm. is part of what has almost... Um, created the situation for uh, Gin and Miyuki where something's arisen that has made them feel shame and the only solution they have is to run away. Yeah,
0: they close themselves off and fold their arms in. Hannah actually reaches out, but then is also quite prepared to walk off alone and be alone, especially at one significant part of the film. She finds out that Gin's daughter is in fact alive after he had told her fairly recently that uh his wife and child had died because of the gambling debts he got Or well, because of the
1: it wasn't he didn't mention the gambling yeah it. No,
0: not the gambling debts brain. the uh the throwing a fictional bicycle race for, you know he was a, a a bike rider is his story he was actually a bicycle salesman and got into debt with a mobster's son. I was, like, first two times I saw this, I was kind of mystified by how Hannah has just had her life saved by this man, and he's actually making some headway with his suddenly very coincidentally found daughter who is now an adult and a nurse at this hospital and is about to get married to the doctor that they just said was really cool Hannah explodes at him reeling off a litany of the lies he's told and disgraces that he's perpetrated and storms off and I was I understand that she had moral grounds to do this but it seems like he was just making some humble gestures towards reclaiming his position as as a father And this seems like overcompensation. And then the the blue and red devil story finally hit home, which is that effectively Hannah played the villain there to overblame the father so that the daughter would perhaps forgive him more by going, hey, 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 that's a bit too harsh, as opposed to just leaving him there to account for all of this.
1: Mm, That's part of it, yeah. And another part of it, I would say, is that this is... This is almost Hannah's love language. This is how she says to Gin, here's all the things you hate yourself for. I am listing them, I am naming them, I am making
3: sure you know I know what they are, but I still love you. And she will too. And the other part of that is, as much as Gin is starting to make some movement towards, you know, reconciliation with his daughter, He's still lying to her. Mm. He's still saying he's in recycling. He's still hiding bits of information ah, from good her. good
0: point. Thank you.
3: And Hana looks at that and is like, "Well, I can't repeat can the same shit with her." Yeah, she's gonna figure this out eventually. It's gonna be worse if she gets led along.
0: So the crux of that outburst was about stop lying.
3: Stop lying. You don't need to. Yeah. To be loved by your family.
0: You can feel the shame of what you've done and move along with them. Yeah. Rather than punish yourself in this effective purgatory.
3: Indeed. And also,
1: another thing that you can add on to that is, if we lay out the entire truth right now, and she does walk away, is that not a little bit better than hiding some of it Mm. and have her walk away later when she finds out, and she will?
3: That's, yeah, her reaction there is one of the most intense moments of, what are you doing in the movie? Mm. But when you sit with it for a little bit, it does put them in a better spot moving forward.
0: She's trying to save him from himself.
3: Which is what she's been trying to do the whole time. Mm. It's what she's been trying to do for everyone the whole time because Hannah is a character who has so much love in her heart for the people around her and will give it to them even when they don't (laughs) get it, even when they're not understanding why, even when they're being kind of jerks to her because she can tell the difference between people who are being kind of a jerk to her but love her and people who are hateful. She's got enough confidence in herself to know when Gin or Miyuki says something harsh, that's because they feel bad, not because they're actually disliking her. Because if they disliked her, they wouldn't stick around.
0: Yeah. Yeah, she doesn't have what would be very easy to give this character, something I myself actually suffer from, which is a rejection over compensation. So if, if I feel even the slightest bit rejected, I tend to go, mm, all right, okay, okay, so you don't particularly need me. I'm just going to go over here and carry on with my life. That's cool. It's an inversion of the Groucho Marx thing about uh, why would I ever want to be part of a club that would have me as a member? For me, it's if you wouldn't let me into your club, I do not want to be in your club. Why would I want to? I'm off. I've got other things to do. And it would be so easy for for Hannah to be like, "Oh, I guess you're just going to be rejecting me, like hey, everybody else rejected me." Mm-hmm. But she doesn't.
3: Yeah.
1: yeah. That is um, just as an aside. That is um, obviously other people have it too, but it is isn't a recognised ADHD thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rejection dysphoria. Rejection sensitivity disorder, dysphoria. Yeah, exactly. And it's it is partly caused by the fact that. If you have ADHD, your brain races from naught to 60 when it comes to emotions. So you, you feel or you perceive the slightest trigger for an emotion and you immediately run to the end of that, that road before you've had chance to interrupt it and go, hang on a minute, is this real or is this just something that I'm picking up that's not?
0: On that note, pause. Everyone who has been listening for years to our show, everyone who's from that group on our Patreon and supporting us financially every month and from that group everyone who's on our Discord and talking to each other every day and everyone who's ever encouraged us and said we really really like this or even occasionally you're fucked up there in a way that's actually helpful and constructive and sometimes you're fucked up in the actual edit and then here's the time code and I'm going to go back and fix that as fast as I possibly can thank all of you Because that's the opposite of rejection. That is me feeling like what I'm saying is falling on receptive ears who are saying... Well, the ears aren't saying it. The mouths attached to the ears are like, thank you, more please.
1: The opposite of
3: anxiety is trust. Yeah. All right.
0: (laughs) Did not expect to be getting there. (laughs) Okay, so... um,
3: I think we've given Hana a good amount of time as far as... There's a
0: couple more things about her that I absolutely love. She has a gift for haiku. I didn't notice until my third watch through a couple of extra ones earlier on. I I started to notice them uh, in in my earlier viewing this morning. But there are just times when she takes a step back from the situation and just seemingly effortlessly proclaims a haiku that encapsulates the moment and is written on the screen in the top right-hand corner in white kanji. That is a lovely trait.
3: It is a beautiful little motif that this movie has, Mm -hmm. and it ties very well into, in general, Hana is a performer. She's an artist. She's a singer, and she's a poet, and it's lovely that she still takes these moments to appreciate the beauty around her. Because haiku is very much an art form specifically, that's about the nature and the world around you and appreciating in a small little snippet Mm. that kind of space. Mm. Um, It doesn't translate super well to English for that reason, Mm. but it's done excellently in this film. And I do also have to say, the dub on this movie is really, really, really good. And great. they got an actual trans actress to voice her in the English dub, which is super great.
2: <gasps> 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 He's her <are> grandma? <sighs> oh, my little angel. I'm so relieved to have you back in my arms. Será la madre o el padre? Oh, you're sweet. I wish I was her mother. But I'm just a queer. Who cares? Yuki. I'm so glad to see that you're safe too. Where's the old fart? That sack of trash could be dead for all I care.
0: I only noticed one slight difference in uh, in what was actually being said. I'm sure there are others, but this one stood stood out. It's when they're sheltering in a little shack and it's filled with cats and Gin turns around and then mutters in the English dub, have either of you ever wondered what cat meat tastes like? And then the next subject of what we're going to talk about, Miyuki, becomes like the feral cat lady and is is flanked by a dozen other cats who go don't you dare. Uh, Whereas in the Japanese version it's something along the lines of I could really do with getting hold of some meat and she interprets that as he wants to eat the cats. So I suppose they just yeah. made it a bit more directly on the nose for the American dub, which works. I actually prefer that one. The whole, you ever eaten cat?
3: You really want to uh, not mess with Miyuki when it comes to cats. <laughs>
0: yeah. This this film doesn't allow for a lot of reading into stuff because it tends to shout it for the cheap seats, which n- s- normally pisses me off. Like one of the, the, the worst movie I think that did this was Welcome to Marwen where at some point they drew a parallel between this green demon fairy that's trying to keep Steve Carell in a a state of depression, and then somebody points out that she literally has the exact same colouring as the depression pills he takes. And it's like, you couldn't just let us work that out for ourselves, Robert Zemeckis, one of my favourite filmmakers, but also God damn it. Um, And this film, Hannah says we've got to find this baby a home, and that would have been fine, because we could then interpret that Hannah herself feels like she was abandoned, but she straight up says it immediately afterwards, you know, she shouldn't be abandoned like I was. But it never really annoyed me in terms of declaring its thematic resonance, because It's so broad as a big story, everything's running along at at fast pace, and so many massive coincidences happen that you kind of have to set up the dominoes for the coincidences to be meaningful. Does that Mm, make sense?
1: It does. Yeah. And I also think there's an element of whenever Hannah explains anything to Gin, we understand that she's explaining it because Gin doesn't get anything unless you outline that it is very, true. in very
3: great detail yeah. for him. He
0: is yeah. a, a fairly blunt fellow. Yes. Okay.
3: Yes. So, this uh, movie is what I've been calling in my head coincidence theater, where <laughs> yes. basically everything happens because Kyoko Kiyo- is like the most lucky baby in Tokyo, mm. despite being kidnapped.
0: There's definite overtones that this is some kind of sacred holy child, and that God himself is keeping this baby and everyone close to her alive.
3: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but when things are kind of more blunt or very specifically stated in this movie, it works out because there is so much going on in this movie. There are three main characters who each have detailed backstories and arcs going on throughout the movie, and like eight different subplot lines that are happening somewhere underneath the surface that you keep coincidentally running in and out of. And all of that is stuff you can keep track of pretty effectively because you know exactly what everybody is going for and why. If everything was also secretive or subtle in a way that was at all hard to figure out, you'd probably lose some people. And you'd probably lose some of the heart of the piece, honestly.
0: Rather similar to last week's film, Love Actually, where seemingly everyone is connected to everyone.
3: Yes, but there's no porn shoots in this one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Although there are a couple in Perfect Blue.
3: (laughs) Yep, he's not exempt from that. Satoshi Kon, God, I'm never going to not be sad that he didn't get to make more movies because he's so interested as a director in people on the outskirts, even when they're people you would think are at the top of the food chain. He's really interested in people who are isolated and whose lives have gotten complicated in ways that they couldn't account for. And the way that wrecks your emotions and how to rebuild from that. And Tokyo Godfathers seems like it would be the most like the next movie he was gonna work on which was called uh, the dream machine i believe and that was supposed to be a robot road trip movie uh. i know and this i just think the way he handles the character interactions in this and the arcs and people on the edge really quite quite excellent <laughs> Also, it's
0: Darren Aronofsky is the equivalent. He even used bits of perfect glue <laughs> yep. in uh, Requiem for a Dream.
3: That's something I forgot to bring up, is that Darren Af- Aronofsky actually wrote a eulogy for Satoshi Kone after yeah. he passed. He openly speaks about how much he is an influence, and I'll give it this, Satoshi Kone doesn't hate women. All of his movies are about women, and they're really quite good on that front. But in this movie... You still have so much sympathy for even the characters who would probably be considered the villains, Mm. quote-unquote.
0: Yeah, it's an empathy machine, so you have to. Exactly. They're not sitting at home going, how can I fuck up someone else's life?
3: No, it's it's just sad.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, this is what I mean about the sadness thing. So many people have been hit so hard and they get so low that the depression has told them there is no way out of this. So when suicide comes up, because it does several times, it is seen as something that warmth and bringing somebody in and telling them that life is worth living, even if it is incredibly hard, is a worthy response.
3: It's a movie, and I think this is part of the reason why the coincidence is, feel good even though standard writing technique would say coincidences are not what you should build a story on is that it's overall a story about the ways that all of our lives are interconnected and similar even if we don't notice it day to day Mm -hmm. because there's pain in all of our lives and there's the chance of tragedy in every day and There is more in common between you and the person in the cab that you just met than you probably could realize. And all of that builds and builds and builds in this movie to really emphasize the point that at the end of the day, we all have one life that we get to live and we have to take that on, even if it's really frickin hard sometimes Mm.
0: I feel like if you have a film with one massive coincidence that you don't really acknowledge as a coincidence that's lazy writing if you have a film predicated on 22 separate but actually interlinked coincidences Mm. that's a subtext
1: especially if your characters (laughs) keep saying things like oh aren't we lucky that happened
3: (laughs) (laughs) Again, Uh, coincidence theater.
0: Yeah. Okay, so Miyuki, uh, the uh, second godfather here, is uh, the teenage girl. And I noticed this time uh, that when we flash back to her during um, her, her clash with her father, whom... From the sounds of it, she had a cat that was a stray that she named Angel because of its angel like wings. Or rather, the shape of them in the markings on her back. There's actually quite a few angels in this, which there
1: is, yeah. uh, underlines the. yeah. Angels tend to signpost things yeah, in this film. I'm the
0: divine just... themology. Mm. Uh, but she had this cat, and she loved this cat. And her father, the chief of police, from the sounds of it, didn't particularly like this cat. And then Angel disappeared one day and Miyuki got very, very upset and stabbed her father. However, when you actually get to that scene, it's like a butter knife at a dinner table. Yeah. And she it's a, a small stab that seems to be... You know, it 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 devastates her, the fact that she's done this, in a way that almost ruins her life as she becomes a runaway as a result of it. Terrified that this police chief is searching for her to put her in jail for assault upon him.
3: She's got a much less justified version of Gwen Stacy's fears in Across the Spider-Verse. Yeah. She, it It also feels to me that there's a definite implication through the way that Miyuki talks about her family life that she has never felt like her parents saw her in any real way that she did not feel like she had anybody who really cared about her which is why she was so 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 attached to this cat it's so clear from when she's talking about it that Angel was her only friend
1: yeah I would say there is something very specific about the way she shows uh the, the wife of the hitman that she ends up talking to. Um, when she, we may explain the, the how that comes about in a minute. Um, but the photographs that she is sorting through, she draws on them. So that like Angel has all of these little fireworks around her and hearts, and, and it's very very clear how much she loves Angel. But here's the thing. She points out a photograph of herself that she doesn't like. She pushes it away. A photograph of herself with her father, and she scribbled out her father's face. But she still has those photos. She hasn't yeah. thrown them away. They still mean something to her. She is still trying to piece together what her life is, where it came from, where it's going next, and those photos are important parts of that, and she hasn't finished with them
3: yet. She is a teenager who is probably going through that very difficult part of life where you realise your parents are not only fallible, but might have been actively making you worse as a person sometimes without intending to that situation where you are becoming your own person you are grown enough now to look at things not objectively because you're a teenager and your brain is still going all over the place all the time but more adult than it was previously and she's feeling really detached from her family and probably was already in a pretty bad spot before the inciting incident with the cat here. Her relationship with her mother is a lot less clear, but it's implied that she's very religious, kind of like Hana is, and that they weren't as close. It seems like she was more of a daddy's girl to some extent on how much she's focusing on him. And that you know, being a cop, maybe he wasn't always the best at conveying to her that he she he does actually love her and it's really clear from his actions in this movie that he is not upset about what happened in the sense that she's he's mad at her about getting stabbed or anything he's just worried about his kid and he just wants her to come home yeah
0: which gives weight to the assumption on her part that her parents don't care and would only be looking for her to lock her up as being all internal, it's actually not reflective of real life. Yeah,
1: and that that pr- that process by which a teenager learns that their parents are just human and are fallible mm. can be made more easy to cope with if they have some internal resources and/or are, are taught some coping skills before that happens, so that when it happens, they feel a little bit less like, and now I'm skating on thin ice and there's nothing to hold me up. Um, And it it almost feels like Miyuki has not been given that. Her mother, the, the way she phrases it is that she's always doing this, oh Jesus, oh praise God thing but we see in the flashback that's exactly what she's doing in the in the kitchen when Miyuki stabs her father and what that tell that kind of tells me about Miyuki is that all of her childhood all of her teenage years have all now been focused on this one moment that is her story right now she can't get past the trauma of that particular event it is everything
3: Which, you know, a fairly reasonable reaction to something as dramatic as that would be on a girl who seems like she's 16, maybe 17 at the oldest.
1: Uh, Yeah, I think I think personally she's sort of 17, maybe 18. Uh, Gin says she's about five or six years younger than his daughter would be now. And he mentions the daughter would be about 24.
3: Okay, so, yeah, that does track.
1: But also there's a there's an age range which is very difficult for, for somebody who's run away where, yes, they're not able to look after themselves and they're out on their own and everybody's worried about them. But also from an authority's perspective, they're an adult and we can't make them come home if they don't want to. Yeah.
3: yeah another interesting thing about that is that Miyuki is by far the most obvious physical change going on in the characters when we see her in her flashbacks or in the photos she looks really different she's lost a lot of weight and it's clear that even six months on the street has been extremely hard on her physically
1: Mm. there's some little touches that show the the father's feelings about her as well it's not just something that we're told in fact I don't think we're ever told it not explicitly but there's a moment in the flashback where she throws a scarf at him that she says she made for him and he never wears
0: she says, "Mop up the blood with this scarf I made you." Yeah, you'd never wear.
1: at least then you might it's use blunt. it. Well, what? The first time we see him, when we don't know who he is, but she's running away from him on the train, he's wearing the scarf.
0: Yeah, he sees her uh, from another train and starts trying to report that he's seen her on a mobile phone. And to her, that's she's being chased. She's Jason Bourne at this stage. <laughs> but so, yeah,
3: so she crawls out of a train window and walks through the snow for the rest of the day. Yeah. The the other main moment when Miyuki finally realizes the situation she's in isn't what she thought it was, she finds in a newspaper in one of the buildings they are staying in over the course of this odyssey, a personal ad her dad took out telling her that her cat is home and that she can come home too, and showing just... In as simple a statement as possible, that he's not mad at her, that it's okay, that we just want you to come back. There
1: are all these coincidences in this, but most of them are the result of somebody reaching out. That someone reaches back is the coincidence part, but they're not... They're not, not triggered by anything. They don't suddenly like come along for no reason. The Yes, all right, they literally stumble upon the Yakuza boss who directs them to the club, but it's Hannah who shows him the card and says, do you know where this place is? He doesn't just like randomly point them in that direction. People have to take action to reach out and then the coincidence comes back to them.
3: Or later in, or another point in the movie that would be similar for a coincidence like that, Gin finds where the address they're looking for in the photo is because he is willing to reach out and help this old man who is dying in the cold and give him some last comfort. There's uh, actually a fairly
0: tacit statement on faith in there because it does require action. Miyuki's mother was in the kitchen praying to God to make something happen to stop her daughter stabbing her her husband. (laughs) Thoughts and prayers did not work, lady. You needed to step in. Mm. Not necessarily to get stabbed as well by the butter life, but will you put that down, young lady? Just some... Like, be a mum. And... (laughs) The, hug your kid. Yeah, hug your kid, and 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 see, like, because clearly the kid is very, very distressed that no one's upset about the cat being missing. That aside from her, uh, her mother saying that to her would have at least changed the version of her that she sees in her head all the time, which is just praying to God to make things happen. Which also makes Miyuki kind of. Uh, Atheistic as well. Like, she doesn't, isn't particularly into the idea of divine providence. And yet, we witness it over and over again throughout this film where they still have to take action in order to make things happen.
1: Yeah. It's synchronicity. You find what you're looking for, then you realize you were
3: looking for it. Yeah. Yuki eventually comes to understand the situation she was in by having to actually look through the eyes of somebody caring for a child for the first time. She cared for her cat, which is, you know, definitely a, a type of parental relationship, sort of, but having an actual human infant to care for and spending time with some people who have been parents and seeing the effects of fearing for and losing and not being close to their children anymore really opens her eyes to the fact that No matter how badly her family relationship might have been going, her dad doesn't just hate her unambiguously and not care. It's not terribly likely at all that he's glad she's gone. He's worried because at the end of the day, he's her dad. And they they do go out of their way throughout the film
1: to make the point that once you have a child whether that's a child you gave birth to or a child that you fathered or a child that you picked up off the street and looked after you are connected to that child forever it's it's not going to leave your heart and the the dream that miyuki has where she replaces her father with gin and her mother with hannah just underlines that she is recognising she still needs those relationships. Even if her relationship with her actual mother and father is damaged, the connection to somebody who can be maternal and somebody who can be paternal towards her is still very important to her.
0: Which also means she transposes the cat onto into a into the baby, the baby who yeah. is the thing that is deserving of being nurtured and they need to stop fighting with yeah. each other and focus on the uh, kid. Absolutely. Also, it manages to sidestep that uh, hand-wavy, well, you know, family's family and blood is blood and if you've got a, a, a father, then that person's your father forever. By the the fact that it's the foster mother of Hannah who is the actual k- person who cares for her while the estranged birth mother never actually appears coincidentally in the film. Mm.
1: I don't believe that the, the lady at the Angel Tower is Hannah's actual foster mother no. who raised her, her but she's an a, an adopted mother figure that she's taken on later on.
0: Exactly. Uh, the... She's had
1: a number of mothers through her life
0: there's always difficulty with, uh, it's, it's strange. There's extreme difficulty for people who really, really want to just shelter children to actually get government approved to shelter children, to you know, be foster parents and potentially adoptive parents. There's all these tests they have to go through. And yet, all of these same rules don't apply to the families that abused their kids and gave birth to them as God intended. The the rules seem to work one way but not the other, and then they're obsessed with the kid when the kid is a collection of cells, but the moment that it's actually out in the world, it becomes a burden, and because it was born into a poor family, They'd rather they all just fucked off and died, if that's possible.
2: Ding dong, on high In heaven the bells are ringing Ho oh, oh, ho oh. ho!
0: So, Hannah's found family at this burlesque club are absolutely clearly nurturers because the as they get in there Gin, who's just been beaten up by a bunch of horrible teenage boys who are cleaning up the streets like they're on the purge by beating up hobos. One of them actually tries to beat up the corpse of the old man who's already died. And he's like, time to die, old man! It's like, you're too late, boy. Like You can't cause pain to this poor, defenseless old man. And the opposite of that is that these sex workers, effectively, take in the uh, uh, injured homeless man and patch him up, which is about the most Jesus-y thing you can possibly do.
3: I mean, she's... Literally dressed as an angel when Mm -hmm. she finds him in the snow. Not subtle. (laughs) Again, this movie is many things. Mm -hmm. It is not subtle. But that's fine, because
0: frankly, media literacy has declined so much in recent years, we need films to no longer be subtle. Because otherwise they're going to be explained wrong by a prat on YouTube.
1: Sit down while I pour a cold bucket of compassion over your head.
3: (laughs) Yeah, this actually reminded me a little bit of a video essay that was recently released um, by Mikey Newman mm-hmm. uh, on his FilmDroid channel about Barbie and how it handles having essentially three protagonists and three movies worth of plot all in one movie. Because mm-hmm. this movie's also doing that, but it's also doing that while seemingly in the real world with the same level of magical thinking as the Barbie movie does. Yeah.
0: I mean, you you could say this is the only one that takes place in a grounded, gritty reality, but again, it's a grounded gritty reality that Satoshi Khan has directed where miracles literally happen before your eyes. And it's like, well, that was fortuitous. Okay, so Gin, the uh the crone of this particular bunch.
3: The most as you would said earlier, kind of stereotypically like a, a hobo or a homeless man that you would expect to be in this kind of story. The the drunk, the, the street bum. But in being those things, you get the opportunity to empathize with that kind of person and realize that he's just as worthy of empathy as the trans woman down on her luck or the teenage runaway. Just because his situation... Is more common doesn't mean it's any less worthy of care. Hmm. Although he is, I would say, the most personally responsible for his life going the way that it did because the choices he made were things that he could have probably foreseen being bad ideas, and he kept doing. Gambling is... Definitely something that can be addictive, and that is a problem. But it is still something. At some point, he chose to put over his relationships with his wife and daughter to the point where, when they gambling went bad, he completely runs away from all of his other responsibilities to avoid the consequences.
1: I think the way that's framed, though, it, it intrigues me that it's we we eventually hear what actions of Ginn's led him to be estranged from his family. But it doesn't seem to blame him for the steps that led up to it. It's just just that the, the social expectation of what he felt he was supposed to be as a father, as a husband, what he was supposed to provide, the fact that because of everything that had gone wrong so far, he was no longer able to do that he walked away out of shame and whatever he he left them with does not seem to have harmed them too deeply they have carried on with their lives Uh, Kyoko has grown up, become a nurse Is marrying a wonderful doctor Who she obviously cares a great deal about And is is lovely
0: to her Who actually fits the description of A version of her father if he hadn't become a wreck
1: Uh, And also, the doctor's backstory Is the backstory Gin feeds Hannah early on Yeah I lost my child to illness Her mother followed soon after That's what's happened to the man that Kyoko is about to marry Yeah um, but his his fault, if there is one, is that he let that shame drive a wedge between him and his family. He couldn't yeah. go back to them and say, I'm sorry I did all this. What can we do to fix it?
3: Yeah, it's his inability to face that he has, has failed in this way and be honest about it with his family that drives him to... Abandon them and even though they are fine without him in the sense that you know the gangsters don't come after them to get their money or anything they were still looking for him mm. for some time and she still grew up without a dad and hoped at some point that she would find him again uh Gin is is the hardest in some ways in, in that the world has hardened him the most he's had the most time on the street is implied at the very least and feels the most like...
0: Detached?
3: Detached, yes. Like, he considers himself a piece of human trash on a number of levels. He doesn't really argue with Hana when she yells at him and calls him that. He just gets drunk and falls back into kind of a pity party when he has got more important things he really should be doing.
1: And like we said earlier as well, he needs his miracles spelling out for him. He needs Hannah to name the baby that turns up after the daughter that he no longer has contact with. He needs the symbolism of when they get to Sachiko's house and find that it's been demolished. That represents the house that he had with his family that... Uh, Kyoko has to tell him is is no longer there anymore. They stayed there as long as they could in the hope that he would come back to it but the, the places in this city move on. The people have to find ways to make connections that accommodate for that.
3: He needs to see a man in front of him dressed exactly like himself, carrying identical bags, mm. seemingly dead <laughs> on the floor in front of him before like, oh, he snaps.
0: Yeah, he needs to look into the mirror to the future. And uh, this poor old guy had one wish, which is to die while drunk in a nice house. And he only gets half of that wish. But he is grateful for the fact that he's got somebody to acknowledge him at the end.
3: And somebody to make sure his family doesn't know what happened to him, which is an extremely tragic final thing to ask for. Well, third or fifth final thing. I can't remember which number of final thing it was he asked for. He asked for uh, several final things, but... I think it's this, the, then the drink. This, then the drink again. Mm. Um, and I don't know if Ever next technically makes good on that, because at the end of the movie, he still has the bag with the old man's identification, and a winning lottery ticket.
0: Yeah, it's uh, the lottery ticket numbers the, this particular uh, week are 111, one, 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 which is...
3: Statistically
1: unlikely. Yeah. Is this just, because I, I think I missed the, the direct line of connection on this, is it this lottery ticket that gets him the money that is... No, 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 no. He doesn't
0: even expenses. know he's got it. It's at the end. Oh, it's oh, like a, ah, it's here. It's st- he's still got it, so we can... Uh, it's it's kind of a... Okay. The, the, the final moments of this film, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the drama that happens before it, ha- occur in a hospital with all three of them recovering. And, well, for a start, the child is named effectively the Pure One. That's what the, uh, the, the name means. Which suggests, since it was uh, Hannah doing the naming, you haven't been tainted like us. There's still time to get you somewhere before the world can just mm, filthy you up. And what the movie is effectively saying to all three of these characters is you can actually clean yourself up from that sense of feeling tarnished. You can actually make amends. You can actually move forwards. There are are ways out of these pits. Sadly, not for everyone. Sadly, tragically, far too many people don't get that little extra moment to just give them a breather, to give them that little boost to get back up.
3: That mm. <sighs> yeah. so they needed to grow as people before they could get there.
1: But also mm. the, the relationship between the three of them is what's keeping them all
0: off the bottom of the mm. pit. And specifically, the end could have been, they get lots of money. But that's a capitalist way of finishing. That's like, oh, your problem as poor people, very, very poor people, homeless people, is that you don't have loads of money. If you had loads of money, you'd be fine. No, they're fucked up in the brains. They need to actually confront all of the stuff that's stopping them from climbing up, from moving forwards. The money is just, like, it's really gonna help. But it's like just that on its own is not going to save the day.
1: Money is a facilitator, not a solution.
0: Not having it can really fuck you. Absolutely. Having it doesn't necessarily solve everything. That's that's what they mean when they say money doesn't solve all your problems. It's just that there's that rather important caveat. Money's
1: not going to make you happy. No, but it can
0: certainly keep you alive. Yes. The more money you have, the more doors are open to you. If you have no money, no doors are open to you. That's the difference. And that's why a world ruled by capitalism will always be cruel, because how much you have should not be a judgment of your worth. Case in point, these three hobos haven't got a bean. All of them are kind, decent people, which you can judge by their actions. Bobby Kotick has all the money in the world and not a scrap of soul.
3: Yes, that's why I think it's really well handled the way they introduce the money mm. in this movie it's that it is never really the focus it's actually pretty easy to miss it if you're not paying 100% attention Jean, but, but a hand up. <laughs> it's it's there Three times, and yeah. you don't need to end the movie with the sinking feeling of okay, but they're all still like really, really broke. Like, it's still really gonna be hard for them to make anything out of this. Instead, you get the, oh good, they're all emotionally handling things well and they have their family. And also they have enough money to get a fresh start on things. Yeah. It's not the focus, but it's still there.
0: Uh, it's, uh, it's it's a wonderful life. The yeah. like, George was gonna be okay before everyone came round and gave him that big reward for years and years of his life helping everyone else. The fact is, to George, it wasn't about, I need the money, I've got the money, Hey, The money is just a way of stopping someone from, dis- in his case, going to debtor's prison. Mm.
1: Well, in his case, I think it was It was partly the, everybody bringing the money showed him that the kindness and thoughtfulness that he'd put into the town over all these years mm. was not going down into a hole and never nah,
0: he already knew that because he had just witnessed the alternate history where he hadn't actually been able to affect their lives positively, he knows when he's running through that street.
2: Merry Christmas, movie House!
1: Yes, but the Doesn't money, matter about the money. The money shows that they know it too.
0: <sighs> this is, of course, as we said last year, this is a, a, a pre-supreme capitalism version of yeah. America where it could have <laughs> gone either way. Could have been socialism curious.
1: Mm-hmm. A little bit.
0: <sighs> okay. So, but... The actual big dramatic finale before we actually hit the end is that they've been looking for... There is a key, which we didn't mention, I think I said at the very beginning. There's a key to a locker that comes with the baby and they have to follow this paper trail. They follow the key to a locker, they get out some stuff, and which includes liquor and a bit of money to get them around the place. It's like a, a, a treasure hunt, frankly, or a scavenger hunt. Uh, and that gives them a photo of a apparent couple, a man and a woman, with various clues as to who this man and woman might be and where they might live. But luckily they stumble directly into exactly the right places to find them. They go... They, it turns out from the neighbours that... And I didn't catch this until the third time I saw, I saw it. I was like, oh, I hate this guy. He's, you know... he. First of all, like he got into serious gambling debt, which makes Gin go, mm, yeah, that's that's bad. I'd uh, I'd hate to do that." But then the neighbors gossiping talk about bruises, which apparently ended up on the guy of this particular group. It's not a well couple this particular. They
1: are, they are not they do yeah. not have a healthy relationship. Yeah.
0: But Hannah's still trying to find these parents just to sort of to make things right, to rebalance the world. And when we eventually find the lady of the two. An assassin helps them and then shows them Uh, Hang on First a Yakuza They save a Yakuza's life
1: They find the Yakuza boss Under his own car Because he was trying To fix it And a woman with a dog Nudged it forward And it rolled over him
0: They save his ass
1: They save his ass They show Because he would have Frozen to death under there He definitely would They show him the card With the name of the club on it Which was one of the clues In the bag That Mm -hmm. they found with the baby Um, And he says that The owner of the club Is one of his men And is marrying Marrying His his daughter. daughter Today And I'm on the way out. So they all go to the club, and at the wedding, a hitman turns up who is trying to kill the Yakuza boss in question, but accidentally shoots the owner of the, the groom. club instead, the groom of the wedding. Who, um,
0: who is also
3: uh, the man that Gin owes money to. Yep, he,
0: who Gin was about to attack, but then coincidentally this assassin, who, by the way, is... Pretending to be a waitress, mm-hmm. but is yep. in fact a dude, as far as I can tell.
1: And he, the assassin, then grabs Miyuki, Miyuki, Miyuki uh,
0: as a hostage. Yeah,
1: who, who is carrying Kyoko mm-hmm. and drags her out and ends up taking her back to his house, where she Miyuki meets gets the to mother uh, spend figure. Spend some time with who's this his sort of
0: wife. like fertility goddess-looking figure? That's this milk of human kindness coming coming out of both boobers.
3: Yeah. Indeed, Uh, she has her own little little one, and they spend some time together. Yeah, and so she is. They manage to to not make
0: it creepy by having her nurse both babies at the same time, as opposed to just well, you just. mm."
1: Well, no, I mean that's ultimately if you're producing milk, you're producing milk. The baby needs milk, you give the milk to the baby. But it's just it's a
0: really lovely like symbol of her actually being able to give. Double at the yeah, same time. And so Miyuki is looking babies. at this figure of motherhood yeah. and going, Wow, that's that's actually what that is, because mm-hmm. clearly her mother has been somewhat anemic.
3: Yes. Also she's impressed by her tits,
0: which is fair. Also There's big bad. boobs, yeah. Oh actually There's I'm, also
3: a nice moment there where they're trying to communicate because yeah. uh the, the people Spanish. The lady speaking Spanish in the English dub, I believe in the Japanese, it's Portuguese. Right. And they're implied to be Brazilian. Mm. And I think in the English, they're just trying to kind of capture the same vague familiarity with the language the average viewer would have. Japan has a fair number of Brazilian immigrants, whereas the average American viewer would probably be more familiar with Latin American. Got it. Further north Spanish speaking uh, countries. Also, Spanish is just significantly more common a language globally mm. than Portuguese. It's really just Brazil that does that. The and point Portugal. being, not including the European nation that came from it, yes. But <laughs> oh, Sharon the, did some the,
0: research the... into it. Apparently, it has it's root. It's a very old language and has its roots in Celtic.
3: Well, no, it's, huh. it,
1: it's a Romance language and it comes from the same source as Italian, Spanish and French. Mm-hmm. But it yeah. migrated across Europe earlier than those languages and fetched up in Portugal, where there was a high concentration of uh, Iberian people. People who spoke Celtic languages, and so it's effectively the the, the sort of the Romance base blended with Celtic, and that's why it sounds quite different from Mm. Spanish, even though it's literally right next door.
0: Shout out to our contingent of Portuguese listeners—you know who you are. High five!
1: (laughs) Indeed. There's also uh, this, uh, and and, oh, actually, you carry on, Mackenzie, because you might be
3: about to say exactly. Yeah, you're the the expert on this. I I was just going to say the moment is really nice where the this woman who does not speak Japanese or English, depending which version you're watching, is speaking to Miyuki, who clearly does not speak her language at all, but they're still able to talk enough to get through that their dads are both cops and Mm. share a little bit about their family lives and build a little bit of a friendship, even though the circumstances are absolutely bonkers.
1: What I was going to add to that was that It's only notable in the Japanese language track, but the lady is speaking, well, Portuguese apparently, Um, Miyuki is speaking Japanese, when they have the exchange about their fathers being policemen, that's in English. Huh. So, the language that they actually managed to make that connection on
3: is neither of their native languages. Well, oh,
0: that's just what we need. Niles, a third language. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's both of those languages, and honestly, most languages in the world have a little bit of loan from English now yeah. because that is what is the most dominant.
0: We were watching uh, Love Actually earlier today for last week's show, Uh, and at one point, uh, Aurelia says yes to uh, the uh, marriage proposal and then has to translate the word yes for the Portuguese cafe that's uh, listening to this particular thing. It's like, I'm fairly certain they've heard the word yes, Kerry. That
3: one they'll probably get. (laughs)
0: Okay, so the lady they're now searching for, who they believe is uh, the mother of this infant, is uh, named Sachiko, and she worked in this burlesque club. Is it a burlesque club or hostess club? What's the?
3: So it's a hostess club, okay. which is pretty comparable to to what we would consider kind of a strip club uh, in the West. It's a bit of a different beast, but similar cultural connotations. We follow
0: on from the hospital sequence just after Hannah has been the blue devil and villainized herself to bring Gin closer to his daughter.
3: Miyuki gets hostage taken. Hannah eventually finds her by tracking down the same cab that brought them there and getting him to take her to the same spot. The two of them then leave together and think they find Gin dead When he's actually... Just the old
0: man who When
3: it's actually the old man. So they have that terrifying moment, and then, out of desperation, go to the club where Hana used to dance and find him there under the care of his her former co-workers. Which is where the then, uh, angel turns up.
2: Yes, that's
0: the
3: angel.
2: Oh, then uh, note, three... This is
0: around about the time that a ambulance races past them on the street as a foreshadowing for the ambulance that is very soon about to crash through a window.
3: Yeah. So all three of them are back together again. They all get a chance to get a shower and put on some new clothes, which is nice for them because they've apparently been stinking the whole time. Mm-hmm. They... Especially in the foot area. <laughs> in the foot area. They all leave Together, uh, Hana's mom gives her a little bit of money so that they're able to spend the night in a cafe. Mm. After which, they walk to the house that Sachiko and her partner supposedly lived in. Which
0: has been demolished, but it's full of clues. Mm.
3: They find the clues, including uh, Miyuki finding that clip from the newspaper about her dad still caring about her. And they're able to figure out that she was pregnant. And the couple doesn't live there anymore and are able to track down the new address that she has.
0: On a side note, the door skit is a fantastic piece of physical comedy. Yes. Worthy of Chaplin.
1: And also character reveal for Gin. Because he, so they, they check that it is in fact Sachiko's house Uh, and that they've come to the right place because the uh, the bag from the locker had a house key in it and the door is still intact, even if the rest of the house has been demolished. And Gin uses the key to open the door and walk through it, but in doing so, he replicates what he has been unable to do, which is to walk through the door of his own old house and say, I'm I'm home." home.
0: And then this freestanding door that's not attached to any walls falls backwards and collapses in another piece of comedy. So it's like this pathos sandwich.
3: Yes, so after they get to that house, they track down like six members of the homeowners association in the area who tell them increasing rumors about the couple, which give them enough information to get connection there. They go to
1: a store...
3: And they're
1: all, uh, there's. Yeah, it's Hannah like a chemist. And, they're sitting yeah, Hannah and in the, and the are yeah. sitting in the seat in the window talking, and Miyuki wanders off, and then they have to leave.
0: I think they're shooed out of there by the uh, proprietors. Yeah, and
1: then this is where Hannah collapses. Mm. So the next stage is... Basically, the, the next place they have to get to is the hospital.
0: Oh, hey, Hannah, well, this is just after the ambulance that I just mentioned crashes through the window they were sitting at mm. and would have flattened all three of them.
1: If they hadn't been asked to leave.
0: Yeah. So in this case, <laughs> the prejudice of the uh, uh, business owners actually saved their lives.
3: Yes, so... The ambulance crashes through. The guy who's running the ambulance asks them to call an ambulance, and then Hannah coincidentally collapses. And so, ham- ambulance is already Look, on the coincidentally, way. Coincidentally, I
0: think it was quite a shock—the uh, the ambulance sure. crashing into the place you she would what? have been at.
3: That might not be a coincidence. Yeah. that one's probably fair. She was Either teetering way.
0: on the edge with like they've eaten barely anything for days.
3: Yeah, and we know she's yeah. not well. Hmm. So they do at this point get to the hospital, where they find Kyoko. Senior the <laughs> the Kyoko that is Gin's daughter, yeah. a nurse at the hospital, and Hana is able to recover. This point is where they separate off when Hana does her blue Oni trick. Mm. And
0: Ooh, Oni, nice.
3: Yes, red and blue Oni is the traditional name of that story. Nice. It, the translation of devil's pretty accurate, devil or demon. They're essentially like big trolls. Mm.
0: But the um, uh, English-speaking audience is going to see a uh, anime that somehow managed to get American distribution uh, aren't necessarily required to know what an oni is, so they do.
3: Yeah, not necessary. Concession. Yeah. So that concession's just fine. It's not not something that uh, is a stickler for me. No. The, this does important, though, because it gets them separated again, which means Mizuki and Hana don't have the actual address, so they don't go to the address where they were supposed to. They just find Sachiko out on the street. Meanwhile, Gin gets the information from the television that the baby that they have had the whole time was actually kidnapped from the hospital.
0: There's a police sketch. I I think it's It's, the first police sketch I've ever seen of a baby.
3: It's very convenient that this baby has a really identifiable birthmark right in the middle of her forehead. Representing a third
0: eye and divinity.
3: But also, I mean, how many street babies are there on any given Christmas? So c- the odds are pretty good it's the same baby, even if there wasn't an identifying mark. Yeah. Um. The
1: TV at this point, by the way, I, it occurred to me that the TV is the voice of the Oracle throughout this. They they pick yep. up from TVs that happen to be on in the background in various different scenes, pieces of information that underline for us, the audience, whether, they, whether or not they actually hear it what this network of coincidences is building behind.
0: Imagine the divine force having to set up this ridiculous puppet show that you can only influence. You can't actually make them do stuff. You can just sort of show things. You can
1: blow at them. (laughs) Oh, for God's sake, just go down that street, okay? (laughs) You
0: can be Gandalf, but you can't bloodbend them.
3: Yes, indeed. Yeah. Which means Miyuki and Hana are walking kind of aimlessly because hana doesn't want to go back and talk to Din, Jin, gin to get the address after her big scene and they happen to walk past the woman they've been looking for the whole time sachiko who is just about to jump off a bridge
1: also i think Which- hana might feel at this point like gin is not necessarily coming back to them she's left him with his daughter mm. so as yeah. far as she's concerned that that at least for now that's his part in this done. He now has his own life to go and deal
0: with. Has she also acknowledged Miyuki's pondering her own uh, family life and potentially returning? Uh, she's I'm now sure. seen the ad in yeah. the, uh, the magazine. Yeah.
3: The reason why Mayuki wasn't at the shop when the others were and the ambulance crash happens is because she's trying to call her dad. She doesn't really succeed in saying anything, but she does make that first step this is and a he densely
0: knows. knit interweaving series of story bits. absolutely
3: and her father
1: knows immediately that it's her yeah,
0: yeah. but he, she doesn't say anything and he he, yeah. he says well, uh, okay
1: he he assumes from the fact that he has a silent phone call from a presumably unlisted number mm.
3: that it's probably her yeah so they save sachiko from jumping off of the bridge and return the baby that they believe is hers to her it is then revealed to the audience that the situation was actually Sachiko was a woman who lost her child sometime during the pregnancy, some miscarriage, presumably pretty late in term and was in the same hospital this baby was delivered in has a mental break and kidnapped the baby, tried to take it home to her partner, who Jin is about to go talk to who obviously didn't want to be involved with a baby kidnapping, but instead of doing anything appropriate about it, like getting her some help or calling the cops, oh, sends her Taking the baby back to the hospital. <laughs> taking the baby back. There's so many options this guy has, but he, like Jin, is kind of just a mess of a guy right now and is not taking enough responsibility for the effects he has on the people around him.
0: So it's another very unflattering mirror that Gin is forced to stare into.
3: Mm, Exactly. By the end of all of this, Gin has realized what the situation actually is. Hana and Miyuki have given the baby to a woman who is really on the edge. um, Quite literally on the edge. And when the three reunite at a shrine... They find out what has happened and go to track her down in a really dramatic chase sequence. Yes.
1: I love this sequence. It's so. It's incredible. It's so fun, considering the.
0: It's so dark, the, the actual exactly. grounding underneath this. The,
1: the seriousness of what they're chasing for. Do
0: you know what it reminds you of as it plays its fun jazz during a chase? Cowboy Bebop! Yes. It's a bit beep. Yeah, but I mean, Cowboy Bebop does the same thing insofar as it's like hilarious one minute and then heartbreaking the next.
1: Yeah. And
3: don't they, they rope in the cab driver at this point? Don't they? Mm. As well? Yes, that poor cab driver—he is the least like connected to what's going on, yes. but his head he just has this look on his face that says, "Why did
1: I have to be working tonight?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> the chase culminates in a rooftop that Sachiko tries to jump off again, while Kyoko tries to reason with her and get her to, uh... I mean, the
3: baby does also try to reason with her. Actually, the baby
0: does does try to reason with her. She (laughs) says, take me home. Let me go home. Miyuki tries to reason with this grieving mother who, again, the film is sympathetic to. It could have just made her, uh, someone utterly hissable. And they could also have casually killed her here and saved the baby. They don't do that either. Twice, once on the bridge and once here, Miyuki lunges forwards to grab this woman as she's falling, uh, because she just she can't see an end to this, and it's it's got to be her and also the baby now. There's she's she's travelled too far down the dark path, and it takes Gin and Miyuki talking to her while holding on to her, telling her just give us the baby back. Like this is, it's not your decision to make on this one.
1: The way the film frames its sympathies for Sachiko at this point, and frankly this extends to most of the people within the film who have made questionable choices that have led them down Mm. unhelpful roads. It doesn't condemn any of them. It doesn't condemn anybody. What it effectively seems to be saying is you are not to blame for the things that have happened to you. You are not to blame for how you feel about the things that have happened to you. But But your actions are your own. For the choices that you make once you've processed those feelings and are in a position to decide what to do next.
0: Which philosophically is extremely on point with its chaos be kind. And being able to... Marshall, that with an obviously orchestrated divine theatre piece is quite a feat.
3: It manages to feel like everybody's decisions are both very important and yet the world operates whether or not you're making decisions. <laughs> and
1: it has that feel of every moment is another opportunity to turn it around.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they do. But not before Hannah manages to basically do the bravest thing ever which is to leap off a roof to try to catch a falling baby So the
1: the lead up to this this is really important Sachiko jumps or falls it's not 100% clear what happens at this point with Kyoko in her arms Mm. Miyuki lunges forward and catches them both Miyuki slips Gin runs forward and catches Miyuki To support her Yeah at that point, Sachiko realises what's happening.
0: After the baby very coherently says, take me home. Yeah,
1: she's clearly imagining that, but anyway. <laughs> and kind of comes back to herself, but loses her grip on the baby and drops her. Mm. Then Hannah jumps off yeah. to catch the baby. The, it's, it's significant that all three of them mm. make a move to save this situation.
0: Yeah. All four of them, because technically, this lady who has decided to end her own life then tries to save the life of the child yeah.
3: and her uh. partner shows up to at least attempt to mm. get her to stop risking her life and the child's is yeah, also showing up
0: All of this culminates in Hannah leaping off the roof to grab the baby, sliding down the snow, falling in and holding onto the gutter, and then falling down and grabbing hold of a railing which is attached to a long, long piece of drapery, and then that snapping. But then, this is why it's definitely divine, because a divine wind... Just, it's it's like the version of God that's watching this goes, oh, for goodness sake. But at the same time, what an incredible self-sacrificing moment. I am gonna reward you with your life. Blows a wind underneath the two of them so that she lands, she flies and lands hovering like an angel herself uh, to arrive in a, in a street of people who can witness what a hero she has just been. Absolutely. A heroine.
3: <laughs> she Mary Poppins down. Yes.
0: Yes, she's Mary Poppins
3: and, and then everybody goes to the hospital. <laughs> because, my Again. God, do we need beds, food, and... Shots. ...right now, and yes, probably shots. Everybody goes to the hospital, this time the hospital that the baby was stolen from. Yeah. The parents gratefully re- receive their child, and the police officer on the case is, of course, Miyuki's father, who... ...is about to introduce them to the people who saved their children... ...gently informing them that they are homeless. And thankfully, the couple is like... ...yeah, that's fine. They saved our kid. They're going to be the godfathers. And the movie ends wonderfully on... ...Miyuki and her father seeing each other face to face... ...the audience learning that they have a winning lottery ticket and the baby being cute. It's a very cute baby. The baby is extremely cute. We haven't you're- mentioned this yet. Really cute baby. <laughs>
0: you're right about that whole, I must caution you, they are homeless. <laughs> like The father's got some growth still to go, and, and maybe some like attitude adjustment on behalf of his daughter to uh, help him understand that homeless people are still people. You do understand that, right? I know that you're up there at the pinnacle of society as the police chief, but...
3: He's gonna get that because there is no way that Miyuki is gonna just going to go home and completely abandon Gin and Hana at this point. She's got two weird, like a weird aunt and uncle that are joining all of the family events from this point onward, and there's nothing that he can do to stop her.
0: And, I mean, that, that, this all kind of uh, uh, blends into the, uh, the, the, the almost. Hy- hysterically joyful Christmas ending as it's just all of these wonderful things start slotting into place at once. Though there's a tiny little note, thread of bitterness to make sure that it's bittersweet, as musingly rather than angrily, Hannah notes that she has been uh, stationed in the gentleman's ward.
1: Mm. However, it's one of
0: the only instances of misgendering, and they make a point of Hannah being like, oof.
1: But it does mean that the private room that she gets, she gets to share with. Yeah. Gin. yeah. Gin. And They're the doctor weird. at the other hospital did specifically
3: refer to her as
0: she. Nice.
3: Yes, that other doctor is cool, even though he's not able to solve their homelessness, which is, you know, a problem for lots of doctors. That moment actually reminded me a bit of one of the scenes in Grave of the Fireflies when the doctors are trying to say, hey, this is malnutrition, and they aren't able to do anything other than say, yeah, just do your best, that's all we can do.
0: Uh, One note on music, by the way. Uh, As uh, Gin, around about the end of Act Two and the beginning of Act Three, when Gin comes into contact with the adult version of his daughter, Ode to Joy starts playing, and rising up to the da 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 as in you just won at Peggle, or the famous Christmas movie, Die Hard, which this piece of music was very much uh, synonymous with. However, there's another layer to that, because if you listen through the credits, uh, there's a, a remixed version of Ode to Joy, which made me start thinking of Clockwork Orange. Clockwork Orange was scored by Wendy Carlos. Who was and remains to this day a trans woman,
3: and an extremely talented—hell yes, she extremely saw talented composer—about
0: half of uh, Kubrick's films.
3: The music in this movie is used to excellent effect continuously for its comedic effect, mostly to highlight just how divine all of these coincidences are starting to get. The <laughs> Hallelujah Chorus is used repeatedly when things miraculous start to happen, yeah. uh, as well as Ode to Joy. And the rest of the score has this very fun and pleasant, like, jazzy, upbeat um, vibe to it. It's really a unique score and I really love it.
0: (laughs) I'm going to have to be careful how I uh, apportion that score throughout this to make sure that it hits the tones in the right places because it's perfectly orchestrated in the film, but it can't be haphazardly applied. There's focus here.
3: Yes. If this movie is anything, it is focused. It is precise and it is like a piece of clockwork everything is just tied together in exactly the right way to make it play this wonderful little piece
0: and yet one of the core personalities is pure chaos <laughs> at least one
3: of them chaos is are, honestly part of the point and yet as a film it's painstakingly constructed
0: Mackenzie, thank you so, so much for coming on with this. This is I'm brilliant. I'm
3: so happy to be here. It's one of my favourites for a reason, and I hope more people, you know, go out and watch it for the yeah. holiday season now.
0: Yeah, meet us the, uh This was a, a, a tricky one to say yes to because it is pretty obscure, but just... <sighs> We, uh, just reading out and remembering what this film was about I was like oh, I can't not do this it is the right thing to do so this
3: movie actually yeah. is uh, at least in Canada has had a couple of theatrical runs over the last couple of years during the holiday season so it might be starting to get a little bit more attention as anime becomes more and more popular in the mainstream mm-hmm. and, and it's the 20
0: year anniversary because this is uh, this was 2003
3: Yep, and it's the 20th anniversary, so if you haven't seen Tokyo Godfathers, you're missing out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You are, but I think you'd probably decided to see it at some point halfway through this podcast.
3: I'd hope. I'd hope. Let's hope.
0: I mean, just uh, like to surf on a wave of enthusiasm towards this story, which will make you feel good, even if you go in feeling shitty. I mean, that's the best thing a Christmas movie can do because you feel potentially shittiest at that time of year.
3: I can say, last night when I rewatched it for this show, I was just off of a work shift and I've been sick for a week and stuff, so I wasn't feeling all that great. It got me right back up to being extremely excited to talk about it today, so...
0: Now, if you're a fan of anime and the long-form storytelling, colourful characters and rich conceptual plotlines flavoured with nail-biting tension and explosive thrilling action that can come from anime, I have an ongoing audio drama series and accompanying novels that you might just be into. But rather than selling it myself, I'm going to hand over to Alejandra Vargas, who recently guested on the Book Club podcast originally dedicated to the New Century Multiverse, but now branching out into movies and video gaming chat, Through Through the Wind Door. This is Alejandra's honest response to devouring all of my books in very rapid succession. And after that, I have a treat for everyone, because one of the hosts, Toby Jungius, had a genius editing idea on that very show, and I couldn't not put it together as soon as he had put it in my head. So enjoy.
2: Oh, and like I said earlier, that um, I don't typically like Indiana Jones or Nathan Drake. So Colo uh, is Muhammad Ali, <laughs> so I love him. He's amazing. I want to pet his fur. And that's all. No. 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 We all know that's not true. Yes. Get in line because Moog I... is so fucking spooky. I should have said this earlier. But like, at the time, I did not give Alex this credit, but since Castle of the Moon, he is an honorary lesbian as far as I'm concerned because he 100% <laughs> gets what lesbians find so hot about women. He gets it. The The concept of me not reading everything at this point is so fucking gone. Like, I'm, I'm deeply invested at this mm-hmm. point. There have been three books that I love wholeheartedly without reservation. I'm in, I'm never leaving. You can't chase me away, put the broom down. (laughs) So I get into Uncivil Outlaw, which again I had some trepidations about. It allayed all of them. (laughs) Cool. Abby, From the moment she jumps out of that Zeppelin, I was so fucking on board with anything else she wanted to do in the rest of the story. I'm like, yes, thank you, Abigail. Using your chaos energy for good. (laughs) Chaos. (laughs) (laughs) Um, James is like, his entire worldview is put to the test and it fails, Mm. fucking finally. Talk about knocking some ego out of that boy. Great fight and chase scenes, like the whole like mm. grinding pursuit of Mr. White. He is. He's just a fucking Terminator. Alex mm. fucking nailed what he was going for. The big punch-up fight at the end is so good. I've just suddenly
0: thought, oh my goodness, I now need to take the Uncivil Outlaw audio segments, and I might do this myself. I'm going to take some of the narration of that, and when White is on the scene stalking down Abigail, I'm just going to put the Prowler theme from Spider-Verse in.
2: Just... (laughs) Uh
1: (laughs) My heart leapt, and I pushed open the doorway to the third floor hall, only to hear deep, sustained, booming sounds coming from the left. Shortly after, the walls exploded outward as cannonballs ripped apart the masonry of the hotel's southern side. They tore through the corridor in front of me, flinging themselves into the rooms on the right. Everybody in there, get down on the ground! I shouted as I hobbled across the briefly undisturbed landing. Make yourselves as small as you can! A cannonball erupted past my eye line and I recoiled, glancing over my shoulder to behold the tall figure of white standing in the doorway I had just left. He looked back, took a long, deliberate moment to stretch, and then burst into a sprint. Closing the distance between us, horrifyingly fast. I could hear a clamorous uproar horses, bugles, and gunshots outside, but all I could think about was getting away from this armored creature. One of the cannonballs ahead of me had blown a nearby door off its hinges, so I limped furiously toward that opening, panic coursing through me. He was right behind, in that room. Overlooking the main street, I lurched forward and punched a blast of energy in front of me, blowing out the window in a storm of shattered glass. I took a breath and leapt. I had glimpsed the street, now absolutely heaving with new Confederate cavalry. Wyatt hurtled out of the window and found himself diving down into the melee. I clung to the ledge as he sailed over my head, landing far below in a crouch. He looked up sharply to see me haul myself painfully back through the window. But by that point, grey-coated men had swarmed around him with cudgels and sabers ready. Three stories below me, White snarled and freed his own sword. Slashing, ducking and throat-punching, he began to clear a path back to the hotel amid the screaming, bloody chaos of the street. I had hoped he would switch priorities to get him back to Thundercloud, but as the cannon fire reverberated around the building, He still only had eyes for me. I began to get very afraid, vaulting from the ruined suite and back to the corridor, shouldering painfully into one of the southern side rooms and opening the window. I dropped and rolled down the bank, scurrying around to the alley, out of sight from where I had landed, very aware of the footprints I was leaving behind. I had seconds to act, and there was a pitched battle in the streets.
0: The New Century Multiverse, which you just heard there, and School of Movies are funded by Patreon. Once again, thank you all so much to everyone who chips in every month. You keep me from being a hobo busking audio dramas at passers-by for coin. And our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alejandra Vargas, who you just heard just there. Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolf, Kieran Datchler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salgero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Shealy, Finbar Nicole. Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Joran Clawson, Joe Gluck, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Marty Polmeyer, Matthew A. Siebert, Michael Hasco, Sean Doran, Toby Skills Jungius, whom you also heard just there suggesting the Prowler music, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Tom Painter, Timu hellas Hayu, Sarah Montgomery, and Kat Esman. We will be back at the end of the year with Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Before we leave off, do you have a podcast or two to talk about that you have maybe been working on for a long
2: while?
3: So, yes. The top and foremost of that I want to talk about is Dice Weave. So Dice Weave is an actual play podcast. Me, my partner Nathan, and a couple of our friends a set in The Strange, which is kind of a fringy, X-Files sort of mystery universe. It's a really fun narrative. We're doing a lot of really cool stuff in it right now. So if you're interested at all in narrative storytelling like that, improv, RPG-style mysteries, dice weave um, on all of the systems and whatnot. uh, The other one that I would probably like to highlight that folks listening to this might appreciate would be uh video game the podcast the movie which is again me and my partner and another of our friends who have been reviewing every video game movie ever made starting from the beginning so
0: where you at right now
3: we where were we we were just past oh, i can't remember because we've taken a little break while we uh, are our third co-host has been pretty busy lately. Have you reached the Alicia
0: Vikander uh, Tomb Raider yet?
3: We are not Ah. that far. We have not gotten to the point where um, (laughs) they are good, but we have approached it and found there is more there than you might believe. Mm. Among the Juve Bowl trash, there are occasionally things that are trying (laughs) and are having some amount of fun with it even if I can't recommend any of them to entirely as films. It's an interesting experience. It's certainly in the era where video game movies have actually started making money. Yeah, I don't know if they've really had their renaissance yet. Super Mario Brothers movie might've made bank, but I don't think it's um, perfect yet. But at least I think we're on the on the road to getting the first great video game movie that's actually an adaptation detective
0: pikachu (laughs) actually that one might be it Uh, actually uh i uh, there's another one as well i don't know whether to either have you on when we cover it or to invite ourselves onto your show very rudely uh Mm. dragon quest your story it's really good
3: that is one that i we haven't got to yet because it is so much newer and i don't think it was a theatrical release in the west but i've heard very good things about that and i'm Hoping that it lives up to the hype I certainly believe it because the director just Blew my mind Yeah,
0: the director of that uh, Also did a bunch of recent Doraman movies Which are also fantastic And the Lupin movie uh, The, the CG is... anime one Just, he's really good At those
3: Yes, he's um, trying to. I want to pull up his name because I didn't see fear He also just broke my heart repeatedly With Godzilla minus one. Oh, he did that? He is the director of Godzilla. Just mind. hook it to my veins. Yeah, just Ta- just eat it. He's he's amazing. Takashi so, Yamazaki. Yeah, highly recommend it. Takashi Yamazaki. I, I, Someone to keep your eye on.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah.
3: Anyways, thank you again for having me. I always love talking to you guys about movies, especially ones that uh, need a little bit more love.
0: Absolutely. And we will be back next week with the incredibly long-awaited show on... Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, followed by our commission season continuing in January, which will contain the even longer-awaited season two of Gravity Falls, also Strange Days, directed by Catherine Bigelow and produced by Dan Cameron, The Mask of Zorro, one of the last true swashbucklers. And the week after that, maybe the last Zorro film, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, And after that, we have a double-episode extravaganza devoted to the best Star Trek show in decades, one which represents a deeply welcome return to Trek for Sharon and I with Strange New Worlds thank you to all the backers who made these exciting shows possible in the space of a few hours. I didn't even get to go public with this. I just said on the commission's thread on the uh, Discord, hey, I'm thinking about opening this up again, and within an hour or so these were all lined up. I am so sorry to everyone who was waiting for the next window. It's almost not fair on you folks who aren't on the Discord all the time. Next time I will announce it properly because I was just thinking about it and I was like, just let's just field it. But it was what I compared it to was like throwing down birdseed and all the nerds descended. So nerd seed, uh, but in a great way. Like I, I love that enthusiasm and the fact that everyone just really wanted these things made. That's
3: if you podcast, they will come. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Again, it's the opposite of being uh, dismissed. So thank you to all the backers who made these exciting shows possible. Thank you to Alejandra Vargas once again for saying such lovely things about our work but also for commissioning this fantastic episode along with Joe G. We will see you in 2024. In the meantime, I've been Alex Shaw.
1: I've been Sharon Shaw. And and Urban Urban Survival Survival Baby Baby Care Care School School is is out.
2: Shows the still gonna